everyone. This is the Mid Warshall Dan, and welcome to Times Will Tell, the weekly podcast from the Times of Israel. This week, we're speaking with Mark Halawa, who, although Jewish from birth, according to Halakha or Jewish law, only after some 11 years in Israel did he recently gain his Israeli citizenship. You see, Mark was born and raised in Kuwait to a family of Palestinian refugees. His father, once a colleague of Yasser Arafat, is a secular Muslim. His mother is the daughter of a Jewish woman from the Holy Land who married a Muslim man. So, according According to Muslim law, he's Muslim, and according to Jewish law, he's a Jew. Let's hear how Mark learned about his Jewish identity and made his way from Kuwait to Jerusalem, where he is building his own tribe of tolerant citizens of the world. Enjoy. Hi, Mark. Thank you so much for joining me. Where am I finding you today? With absolute pleasure, Amanda. I miss you. It's been a while. Um, Today, I live in Jerusalem, in the center of Jerusalem. I'm in my office right now. Came early a little bit today just to see you. Ah, I feel so privileged. So first of all, I just want to say, Mazel Tov, you just became a citizen after the hardest fight I've ever heard of. And we're going to tell our readers all about it. So Mazel Tov, Mazel Tov. Thank you. Thank you, you, Mazel Tov. Thank you. Okay, now you are, according to Halakha, Jewish law, you are a Jew. You were born a Jew. You also converted to Judaism. What is the story here and where were you born? Look, I'm, I'm really, I don't know you're going to ask me that question, but I'm glad you did. Um, a lot of people tell me, oh, but you converted to Judaism. I didn't actually do a formal conversion, convert. I went through an educational process to, uh, they, they, they call it Giyur L'Chumrah which not actual giyur, not actual, they don't say a bracha and convert you and do the whole thing. But uh, for those who are born outside of the Jewish life, and they did that with a lot of uh, Russian immigrants that came over, had no clue what's going on, just like me, um, people demand that you learn something before you, we bring you in. And then you're given a document just to attest that you are a Jew, somebody who's born into generations. Okay, so I'm just going to translate all the terms that you just said, which are wonderful terms, into more uh, human language. So you are saying, I was born a Jew, but because I grew up outside of Judaism, I did something that, uh, an educational process, and at the end of which I got a certificate of Jewishness, essentially, that I am 100% kosher Jew. (laughs) Correct. You got it. Okay. Yofi, so where were you born? How did you grow up outside of Judaism? I was born in Kuwait, born and raised in Kuwait. I was born in 1977, late 70s. Uh, Kuwait just was getting built up. My dad moved in uh, Kuwait in the early 60s. Kuwait became a country in 1961. So my father was one of those who helped establish that country and build it as an engineer, electromechanical engineer. Um, my dad born in northern uh, Israel in Beit She'an in 1945. Um, he considered himself Palestinian, Palestinian refugee also. He was a refugee for a year in camps northern uh, Jordan, a little bit. So my father was uh, working away, you know, enjoying the fruits of success when someone called Yasser Arafat joined the ministry where he worked in. Yasser Arafat, also an engineer, architect. Uh, later on, wooed my dad and many others into supporting this thing called the PLO that was reestablished in Kuwait. They chose a flag for Palestine. Everything was uh, put into order. And my dad was one of those first few hundred people that gave a donation. Now, uh, years after, um, my dad broke out of this. He thought he, did, he wasn't happy about uh, Black September and all this, you know, terrorist activities. And he thought this whole thing 
My dad does not give money for free, okay? He's a bit straightforward. He says that Yasser Arafat's using the whole thing as a piggy bank for himself. So, so he had issues with the whole thing. So he distanced us from it. Yet, we still grew up with the PLO activities, Boy Scouts, all these uh, summer camps, you know, in order. So um, that's been a nutshell for 12 and a half years in Kuwait. But just to be clear, your father, although he was born near Beit Shean, which we know today as an Israeli Jewish city, your father was born Muslim. Sure. Oh, yeah. My father was, was born to a Muslim family. The, the thing is, um, there is a, a very big rabbi that was buried right in the area there. His last name is Halawa also. And last week I was at a dentist and the, guy, the person waiting next to me was also Halawa, Israeli guy. And he's like, our family lived here for so long and they believe there's a connection. So I'll leave that around a different conversation, Amanda, today. <laughs> but uh, my father, yes, was born to a Muslim man. Okay, so that's your father's side, but your mother was also born in what we call today Israel. Where was she born and what kind of family was she born into? So my mom was born in a place called Shechem, or in Arabic, Nablus. Nablus is in the West Bank somewhere. I've never been. I have some family there till now. Um, my... The story comes from my grandmother and my grandfather who are who decided to marry each other and, and, and uh, break the taboos around their families here a little bit and cause some trouble. So my grandma and grandpa met each other not too far from where I'm sitting right now. Um, close to Shashchem, across Shashchem, there's a private school, I believe it still stands till today, my grandmother went to. And supposedly, you know, girls from there, you know, sometimes meet guys from outside, whatever. And my grandfather and my grandmother met. They liked each other, they were young. They kept a relationship and at some point, I'm not sure if it was because of negative or positive reasons, I'm not sure whatsoever, I always hear good. Um, they decided they're gonna take their relationship and the love to a different level and just forget about the rest. You know, throw family objections against the wall and there were family objections. Um, and they moved with each other down to Chem. My grandfather worked for the Jordanian army they, they, their life was not easy, but they loved each other until uh, till the last day of his life, and she's alive until today. Um, they moved to Shechem, where my mother was born. My mom lived there for a few years, and also uh, set seven out of the eight kids, uh, uncles and aunts, and then moved to Jordan, where he was stationed uh, in the Jordanian army there. Okay, so just to make sure that our listeners are following 100%, because your family tree has the most sprouts that I, I know of. In any yeah, case, uh, your mother's mother was born into a Jewish family and met your grandfather outside uh, the Damascus Gate here in Jerusalem, outside the old city. And your grandfather uh, was born into a Muslim family. So when they sure. got married, it was contentious. And obviously there was some, uh, so we say, controversy and perhaps strife among the families. But in order to get married, I would assume that your grandmother had to in some way uh, convert to Islam. I tell people that, you know, she, she must have converted, obviously. My mom says the same thing, but we, who knows, really, who knows? Yeah. And convers what's conversion? You know, put a shawl on your hair and say, you know, a couple of words. Um, exactly. She didn't have to go to yeshiva. <laughs> but according to Jewish law, this means that your mother is a Jew. Uh, according to Jewish law, my mother is a Jew and I'm a Jew. And according to Muslim law, I'm a Muslim as well. Uh, when I was a, a younger, I struggled with this whole thing, and you know, we grew up as secular or 
to be honest, we don't use the word secular. We, we're not religious. We're not into religions. My dad did not like any of the three religions equally, you know? Um, he thought the whole thing is made up, and we grew up that way. Till this day now, my, my siblings are uh, onto that path of uh, thought. Um, I, I like the idea that, you know, I have multiple identities. Today, people ask me, what do you identify? You're an Israeli or a Jew? I'm like, yeah, I'm a Muslim too. And when I'm traveling, I'm in Morocco, and people say, let's pray. I pray in Saudi Arabia or another country. I'm like, hey, you know, I do what I do. I tell people who I am. I don't lie. But at the same time, I comfortably sit down and participate in whatever, uh, uh, what you call religious or ceremonial. And it makes me feel good, really good. I would like to, my goal is to connect in people right now, maybe use myself as an example of that. That is so rare. Let's just uh, back up slightly to your Jewish spark moment in which you sure. kind of, in which everything fell into place and you kind of realized, wow, this is what, a Jew? This is my first Jew? What is a Jew all about? Well, there was, a, there was a, uh, multiple, multiple instances where um, I was like, inspired a lot. And it, the inspiration really, and mind expansion, you could feel it and sense it, continued for many years. And this is what got me, you know, involved. It wasn't just one occasion, but the first Jewish man that I ever met was a coincidence at, at the library at university in London, Ontario, Canada. I was studying in Canada. And I'm going through my exams, my finals, studying at the library, and I bump into this uh, religious-looking guy who wears a head cover, black thing that looks like a kippah or yarmulke. And I approach him, I asked him if he's a Jew, and I thought he, the answer itself, grabbed me or gripped me. I mean, he could have said, yes, I'm Jewish, how can I help you and whatever, just you know, just talk like any religious people, I'm sorry, quote unquote, which, you know, they feel like entitled, they're better humans all. And this guy is just, uh, he made a joke, he cracked a joke, he's like, no, I just like to dress this way. I thought it was amazing. Now, I'm scared, and I know, Amanda, you know my heart is beating one extra beat as I'm approaching this man. I heard a lot of horrendous stuff from the beginning of my life up to that moment when I was 24, 25, when I approached this man. Like the worst. Jews eat babies, they want to kill us, they want to hunt uh, Muslims down, all that kind of stuff that they tell you in school. And then I walk up to him and I ask him, are you a Jew? He's like, no, I just like to dress this way. And he's smiling. He's like, who's asking? I told him who I am. I said, my name is Mark, you know, grew up in Kuwait, secular Muslim family, all along, you know. I know my grandma's Jewish, so I didn't hate Jews 100%. And, and he took the conversation easily. He could have said, oh, ew, your, your, your grandmother married out? Oh, horrible, and just give me a, a look like he is the most righteous. And I would have walked away and continued with my disconnected life. The guy, like the, the, the facial expressions and the niceness, I've experienced that thousands of times, Amanda, from the average, whether it's religious, non-religious, secular, anti-religious, tattooed, whatever you want, in Israel and around the world, those connected instances solidify my altogether dream and, and hope of one day becoming, you know, a part of, I mean, having to become, to merit becoming a part of the nation of Israel or Am Israel or citizens of Israel. He was sweet. His name is Dr. Yitzchak Block, Dr. Isaac Block, professor of philosophy from Harvard, retiring, retiring at a time, educated as anything but humble, like, he just radiates humility. And, and the second instance, which was as powerful, was when he invited me for Shabbat. When I went to the shul, out of curiosity, and then I didn't even have an invitation, he invited me over to his house on Shabbat. Who gets invited last second? I, I'm not familiar with this world. 
Then I go to his home, and my gosh, it was like mental explosions happening in my head. Like everything was new and nice and you know fresh, like everything else in life. But people continued those values that I saw in Dr. Block. Curiosity, openness, uh, inquisitiveness, excited about, wow, you are from you know both Arab and Muslim and uh, Jewish backgrounds, potentially, or at least I claim. Nobody shut me down and said, hmm, I don't know if I want to sit here with someone who are a part of the uh, nation that is an enemy to us. And start to remind me of bad things or whatever that I'm not responsible of. Just the good experiences were from, from that sort. Later on, I discovered, a couple of years later, I discovered the Holocaust and blew my mind. This nation had been through a lot. And, and descendants of those who live in Canada, who were around me, all around me, had me over in their homes for a long time. Later, I discovered about the Holocaust. I'm like, oh, yeah. How many members of ours perished? I grew up in a culture, unfortunately, I'm not trying to blame, I'm not trying to paint cultures here, but in a way, maybe it's just me, maybe it's not the millions of Arab Muslim speakers, uh, Muslim Arab speakers, but in a way, I judged, you know, I just saw, you know, that a Persian is a bad person because he belongs to Iran and Iran is not nice. Uh, a Jew is a horrible person because, oh, he must support the state of Israel, it's not nice. You know, just there's these judgments. But I see these op this open-mindedness that just really captured me. Uh, again, this might be my own thing, how I grew up, even though I grew up in a secular family. The educational system in schools in Kuwait, and, which is really tough, till this very day. Kuwait is a very tough town. Hello, I'm Ari Lam, the host of Good Faith Effort, the podcast where we show how the values and ideas of the Bible can illuminate the most important conversations in society. Want to hear a major music exec talk about the book of Genesis in hip-hop? Leading venture capitalists on how the book of Isaiah informs their work? Or an Oscar-winning producer reflect on how religion can save the American soul? Well, then subscribe to Good Faith Effort on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and listen in to inspiring conversations you won't hear anywhere else. So from being a 24-year-old with a lot of chutzpah going up to a guy who received your chutzpah and answered you with chutzpah, eventually you made your way to Israel and you went through, as we said, the educational process to be certified as Jew. But then so many obstacles were in your way, one for marriage, one for becoming a citizen of Israel as every Jew is entitled to become. So let's talk about the, the journey after you came to Israel and, and many of the things that you faced since coming here in the past decade, essentially. Well, th well thank you. Let's uh, do that. The, the first thing that got me uh, really, really involved in wanting to come to Israel for the first time, um, first of all, I had an opportunity to go to Poland and then Israel and a trip. It was a last minute. I went to my boss. And in Canada, who was Israeli from, from a Kafkazi background, and he was not. Actually, he's like, absolutely, just don't worry. I, um, I was a foreign exchange trader, you know, it's really demanding the job, you gotta be there. <laughs> and uh, he's like, yeah, absolutely, don't even worry about it. Well, I'll handle the clients, just go. Because he saw the passion in me. Went to Poland, my heart was torn and was kind of a put back together relatively with a lot of courage and knowledge in Israel when I arrived in Israel. Now, I was afraid of Israel. Listen, I, like, I consider myself a Jew then, but you know, there's all these things they told me about Israel that are deeply engraved in my brain. I'm hardwired to think Israel is on a part of the country, Israel is this, Israel is that, Arabs get beaten up on the street for breakfast, you know. 
So I came here and that this whole thing just like like a sandstorm just went down to the ground and it just absolute clarity. I start seeing in front of me, my gosh, it's it, this place is just uh, I'm not gonna call it Ghana Eden, but I'm not gonna call it perfection. It's just just fantastic. It's happening, bustling, equal. You know, everybody's working. Every I don't know who's in the Arab, who's in the show, which I don't care. And everybody thinks I'm American, even better. So uh, <laughs> the worst, the worst. <laughs> <laughs> no. So that, that, then I came here. I fell in love. I, I studied a little bit at Yeshiva. I was a part of this uh, trip. You know, I sit down just to give you a, um, uh, like a taste of Judaism and teachings and all. And I liked what I was doing. The people were moderate, modern. What do you do for a living? Are you learning here all the time? No, I'm a doctor. I learn in the afternoon. I'm this. I learn in the morning. This guy's a programmer. This guy is a startup. This guy is a, you know, sold a company for $200 million. These people are like highly educated and they choose to sit down to do what is seemingly from far away boring as anything. So I wanted to jump in the sea of boredom. Um, I had to go back to Canada. I started working, whatever. A year later, I decided, you know what, I'm coming back here full-time because now I'm 30, 31 years old. If I don't do it now, never, I'm going to do it. Plus, I spoke to this rabbi in Toronto. He was a Chabad rabbi, a friend of mine. And also, uh, um, rabbi, um, his name is Mark Zalonka. He's from, from Asia Torah. He mentioned to me that, you know, if, you know, learning and you could correct your status, uh, which would allow you to get married easier. And to be honest, like, after going to a lot of people's homes for years for Shabbat and seeing people and like those dating or those married or those grandparents or I'm looking at people how they interact and deal I'll tell myself I'd like to I'd like to be a part of this world and you know since I have some sort of a, a membership I would like to just go ahead and step on the pedal and do something perhaps I would be I would merit uh, a Jewish family in my mind because I'm the oldest grandson of my grandmother I thought to myself I would like to make a decision of getting married and bringing children to this world to continue where she left off. It's a beautiful world, maybe times have changed, maybe she was scared, maybe she fell in love, she didn't know what to do back in the day, I don't know. Anyhow, when you want something so bad and you think about it all the time, it happens. It does appear. That happens with business, with love, with anything else. So the day has come and I moved in to learn for eight months. I delved into the sea of knowledge. I found a niche that I liked very much that affects the business that I do today and the type of work I do. And I dealt in, and the eight months became three and a half years, close to four years. I learned a lot. My process was done easily. I was asked questions to verify my knowledge level, and I was told by some partners of mine who were sitting next to me at the, the uh, team that these questions are for like very experienced rabbis, because at the time I was really knowledgeable. And anyhow, thank God. So I finished my process easily and I continued learning. At some point I did meet my wife through introductions and decided to make this my home here in Israel. I wanted to go to Canada, believe me, a lot of times I talk about going to Canada. And Linda and I decided to make Israel our home and raise our kids here um, and build a future here. Any new immigrant is faced with such a struggle when going to the rabbinate to get married. But for you, I imagined it was <laughs> all that much harder. I mean, I did everything I had to do. I booked a, I booked a wedding uh, hall here outside of Jerusalem, um, Nes Harim, this nice place, so invited people, people from out of the country, from even the Middle East. We're going to start, yes. And, and someone had connected me with the chief rabbi, Rabbi David Lau. 
to come over and officiate our wedding. We we're so excited. I was showing off to my wife, hey, check it out. coming to marry Then I get a phone call the day before from the secretary. She's like, uh, you don't have a tick here. I'm like, what's a tick? She's like, you don't have a file here. I'm like, what do you mean? She's like, you have nothing. It's easy. Just come over and bring your documents. We'll create a file for 15 minutes. Oh, man. I spent the whole day there. And they wouldn't accept certain, you know, because I had to go to a different Beitin or rabbinical court in order to do this verification, however you translate it, the verification of my Jewishness. And it did not go through the official channels, supposedly, which were looked down upon from some circles I was, I was from. So, I, bottom line is, uh, I went to an illegal um, uh, rabbinical court and was told, sorry, you went to an illegal rabbinical court, you are blacklisted. We can't even process you, and uh, the chief rabbi can't even come over to your thing. I'm like, ha, 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 great. So I called and I canceled the chief rabbi's visit last minute, and I had to last minute arrange for somebody else to marry us, officiate us. Okay, no problem. All done. Just after marriage, a few months later, Linda's pregnant, everything great, I am on top of the world. I went to London, the real London, the United Kingdom, to, to give a talk. We were handled, I went with Linda, Linda came with me, my wife. We're, we're VIPs. Where just the treatment, everything was done amazing. It was a fundraiser, massive. Everything was just great. The newspapers wrote about it. Fantastic. Came back to the airport to Israel. They tell my wife, "You can't come in. He cannot." I'm like, "Oh my gosh!" And this is where all my troubles started with something called Misrad Apnin, or nicknamed Misrad Apnin. <laughs> the interior ministry, for those who don't know. The interior know. ministry. <laughs> but just to clarify, so you were married, but your actual wedding ceremony was not through the rabbinate, the chief rabbinate. And no. so it was what would be called an illegal me. wedding. Right. They, they wouldn't so, let me, yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. And I just want to remind our listeners, as we began the the episode today, Mark is today an Israeli citizen. So we did... <laughs> He's holding his passport right now in his hand. And so he did triumph in the end. But it took how many years, Mark, until you were able to grab that blue passport? Seven years. Seven years, which Seven is Seven years exactly. An amazing story. So who helped you out? Who where did you turn at this point? So I mean, we're at the airport. It was a Thursday night, they wouldn't let me in. I told them, hey, I, I have like a very long three-week speaking engagement in, in Florida. Every single day is booked. People love deposits. What do I do? They're like, okay, show us your ticket. Show them your ticket. Look, okay, you could come in, and we expect you to leave on this flight that you're saying you're going to leave on, and otherwise, you know, it's going to be problems. So I packed up. I hugged my wife, scared. I heard stories. See, what happened, what I did wrong is I went over my tourist visa. At a tourist visa, and, and because of the wedding and this whole thing, I, I thought I'm gonna do Ali and everything is gonna happen quickly then. But even no, nobody accepted the, the, the documents from that 18 from Nevar. So I went to America, did my whole thing, and uh, we spoke to uh, w- with a few people. There's a, one lovely lady, her name is Rachel Berger. Uh, my wife reached out to her, she works at the uh, Nefesh Benefit, she helped my wife a lot, and she connected her with various people. Uh, right people to help. There's many people, I, can't, I might not be able to recall all of them, but just a lot of people worked as if I'm, I'm just their sibling or their brother or mom or something like that and helped me a lot. There's a member of the parliament, there's somebody else, a friend of mine, uh, I don't want to mention names, Linda Richard, a member of parliament that was assisting her, Linda was involved in, in Likud for some time, but uh, we, we failed, we, we, we couldn't, so we were told we would need to marry abroad in order to correct this. Now, 
I'm from Florida, jumping back and forth between Florida and New York um, for work. And from there, I decided I'm going to take a small plane to Toronto where I lived, have an address there, have a property there. I will go ahead and just uh, get some documents, correct everything in order for everything to, to, to make sense and get some documents that would be needed to marry. Now, we decided we we're going to marry in Europe. And um, I had to get some documents, everything in order. Um, I, I flew to, 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 to Denmark. I spent some time in Denmark. My wife met me in Denmark. We went and spent some time with her family in Sweden. We were refugees. In, in, I couldn't go back to Israel. We were refugees in the most expensive place on planet Earth in Scandinavia, for God's sakes. <laughs> then we ended up in Finland. My wife is from Finland. So we got married in Finland. Um, I got all the documents needed. Sometimes I had to run quickly last-minute documents in, in, in Copenhagen, Denmark, another last-minute document in Finland. We got everything together. We stood in front of that uh, lovely lady that was much younger than me and my wife, the judge, and she married us. We were I would not show the picture to the world. We were so exhausted. We were so tired. And just my, wife was, my wife's stomach was this big. She was like six, seven months pregnant, but we were relieved to have a document. So now we had to work on another process. It took a few weeks, and thank God I was given an entrance visa. Now, given an entrance visa, at the same time, you have to immediately correct your status with the Ministry of Interior, which makes absolute sense. It's like this in every country in the world. Um, the process started then. I'm a veteran. All I'm going to tell you right now, to end it on a, on a positive, good, happy note, um, there was a manager there all along at the Ministry of Interior in Jerusalem. There's a, man, a lovely manager lady. And it's not that she did anything special for me, but, she, you know, she's a manager. She, she knows what's going on. I didn't even know that she, she knows everything that we do. Um, and she officiated my citizenship process and, 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 and gave me a... We were at the ceremony, and I got up to, to give my oath of alliance to the country, allegiance to the country. My voice cracked, and I looked at her. We never really had much of interaction before. Had to, hi, hi. You know, I, I try to be nice to everybody. Maybe it'll help. But um, she, she was red and her eyes were watery as anything. I wanted to hug her, but it's just not appropriate because, you know, the type of... But uh, people feel for you here. Unfortunately, sometimes the laws are a little bit difficult, which I implore and ask anybody who is listening to this. Uh, there's a lot of wonderful, wonderful people that I met throughout my 11 years of being in Israel. Uh, ladies and, and guys who came here, whether they want to convert, whether they have a similar story than mine, they want to correct where they stand, whether they got married, whether any the various people that came here and left with their tail, you know, between the legs, like, and they, they spent all their savings coming. And it's hard to, you know, pick up and establish. You know, we went through, we hit the bottom many times, um, but we're lucky enough to bounce back here and there. But there are many people that I know, and I think there are more bad stories than good stories. I hope some reforms are done in the whole process, whether it's the conversion process, whether acceptance, whether it's right of me, that doesn't uh, threaten anybody's security, the country's security. But uh, yeah, thank God, seven years later. Okay, now just to uh, clarify a couple of things. So now, according to the state of Israel, how are you registered in the population registry? Are you registered as a Jew? Uh, that's a very good question. I mean, I would assume, yeah, after this whole process. But one second. I guess ministry, the ministry, the, my documents proven that I'm a Jew are in the Ministry of, of Interior. But the, the Rabbanut does not consider me as probably uh, a Jew from their documents. But 
the laws have changed a few years back, if you remember, where everything is accepted. And one of those that were accepted was uh, Rab- Rabbi Nisim Koralitz's faith team, which was in the list, but I did not do any action to validate it. I just, after years, and I, literally I was a, sometimes a full-time worker. Every week I'm there for hours, every single week, because if I have nothing else to do in life, I, I don't really want to start any process anymore. Done. You should pay me for my time. Hi, it's Sarah Tuttle Singer from the Times of Israel. Come join our community and support fast and fair independent journalism. You can sign up with the link at the bottom of every single article on the site. Now, we're going to <laughs> switch gears slightly and talk about some of your uh, your calling as well in explaining the state of Israel to the Arab world. One of the reasons why we spoke together initially uh, six years ago was about a series of videos that you did with uh, one organization. You've done many other things since in which you speak in Arabic to the Arab world and explain what is this animal, the Jewish state. So Number one, are you continuing with these efforts? And if so, how? And number two, have you gotten any kind of blowback from this? It's a very good question. Um, the blowback was always from my family, really. But uh, a lot of people, uh, I got a lot of positive reactions from people. Um, as I mentioned, I've spoken over 450 places uh, in the past six years. Um, including a Zoom during, during Corona time, the COVID period. Um, I put on some videos out there that I wanted to correct history a little bit. And in order to get the audience, I went to organizations and said, Hi, how are you? I would like to um, just gift you this video to put through your system. People obviously took it in a good way because well, who's talking in Arabic those days? I'm talking about six, seven years. So I put on a few videos that really um, made a lot of waves out there, including in, in the U.S. Congress when I made a video about uh, being a refugee. I mean, I'm not a real refugee, it's just a fake uh, fake status, but somebody gets paid on my behalf. And my sister, who's a bank manager, and my brother was a big successful businessman, the other brother was a dentist, they're all refugees. My father's alive, thank God, and he retired in his mid-40s, mid to late 40s, and he is considered a refugee also. So, so um, I wanted this to come out, and at the time when I put this out, the Syrian uh, war, was really in its just midst, and, and uh, I felt horrible for all these people who are displaced and have no food, and their parents are crying with children in, in, in their hands. And I thought it's just the only honorable thing I could do right now is to mention this horrible situation. Perhaps the United Nations uh, could, you know, reallocate funds or something. Apparently, this was received well in the Congress by some people and made the rounds, I was told, and uh, helped the debate of cutting funding to UNRWA which I, I feel it was good. I was invited to the United Nations to speak, actually, and I went and spoke about this topic. I was invited twice to the Knesset to talk about this topic. So it reached, and this created also um, an audience of followers on Twitter. Many of those are curious, young air people. They just want to know. So the, the Internet has been really busy, like especially uh, Twitter, during the past like 10 years or so. Since the war with, with uh, Syria, the, uh, Twitter exploded, and... You'd feel sometimes because of the way Twitter is, it's like the breathing lungs of, of uh, you know, the young kids over there. You cannot, you, you could hide your name and just go there and see and read. 
Um, and from there I started talking. I used to put a lot of information out there. Sometimes I used to translate uh, somebody's tweet into Arabic just to show you reality that you never would read or be issued from you. Now, a lot of times I sit down and just watch because people have to come, to come things to their own hands. And uh, sometimes I think, you know, criticism, for example, of Palestinians is so harsh, you know, because of uh, some things that are happening. But hey, the world is learning. The world is learning. But, um, you know, people were fooled. A lot of people in the Middle East were fooled. And the same people that people spent, children, my age when we were children, we spent our money, our, our food school like um, allowance, to donate to the Palestinian cause. We're going to these big guys, you know, and scam artists and whoever they are, and now they're attacking not only Israel, they're attacking Gulf countries and saying we're stand by Iran. You know, people watch and learn and people are hurt, especially the good old people, like the people of the Gulf. People of the Gulf are known to be generous, good-hearted Arab Muslims. Do you, want, you want the real Muslims, the good, real Muslims? Gulf countries. This is where the Quran came from. This is where the people are. They speak the language of the Quran. They didn't learn it from a third translation uh, in Gladish. But anyhow, and so people are waking up today. And I, I read the internet and I don't need to comment. People are seeing for themselves and people are digging in through facts that I was trying hard to convey out before. And now thank God, thank God for, for the miracle of peace. Okay. Not many things changed uh, that, that we could feel uh, as a regular citizens here of the, of the Middle East because of the, you know, unfortunately because of the pandemic right now. But opening or bringing down those barriers between us and them, everybody thinks us and them, them always are those different than us, that we don't like because they're different, we don't know them, or we've been brought up to hate, whether back and forth. Now, this this wall of hatred, barrier of hatred and animosity have fell. You're referring, of course, to the Abraham Accords, which we're marking a year to on the, on the 13th of uh, August. Do you see a big difference between before and after the Abraham Of course. And I, but I don't think only of the United Arab Emirates and, and Bahrain. The whole region has transformed. The whole region has transformed. There's more positive language coming out of Saudi Arabia than, than you know, Saudi's a ma major country, huge country, big player. Um, just uh, a lot of things changed and attitudes affect attitudes of those who are in Jordan, for example, who are in Iraq, countries that we don't have a relationship with, people in Sudan, for God's sakes, messaged me, I have some wonderful people, this guy messaged me the other day, yesterday, two days ago, um, Saudi Arabia, he goes, thank you so much, you opened my eyes to a lot of things about Israel, I didn't even know, I wish I could visit you guys soon. Well, Mark, I just want to say one more time, Mazel Tov on getting your passport. It's such a, a huge event and, and I really wish you onwards and upwards. Thank you very much. I, I, I Look, I have other citizenships in the world. I'm, like, uh, I'm from Canada and I don't necessarily need to take on an extra passport, but this was, in a way, correcting the course of history. Um, I always wanted to merit, you know, the membership to, to this lovely nation. And I... Just like like uh, LeBron James said, you know, I think once in his interviews, I'm bringing my team in, and I'm just uh, we're gonna win. You know, I'm I'm on this team, always been on this team, and I would like to uh, see good things happen in the state, and my children grow here. And please, God, succeed all of us. True, true, true. <laughs> Thanks so much. Thank you, thank you so much for this, Amanda.
Thank you so much for listening to Times Will Tell and a special thanks to TLV1 Studios for sound production help. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to Times Will Tell on all podcast platforms. (laughs) 